Last week, I mentioned <coughs> that Joaquin Phoenix's real name uh, was Joaquin Rafael Bottom, and that his parents changed his name uh, from Bottom to Phoenix because they wanted to change the direction and the perception of their family. Uh, as you know, the phoenix represents a new beginning. It's a mythical bird uh, with uh, a tail of gold and red plumage. Um, it is said to have a thousand year lifespan and near the end of its life, it builds a nest and then sits in it and then the nest and the bird ignite and they burn up and then out of those ashes uh, comes a new phoenix. And so um, uh, there's a sense of rebirth and renewal of rising up out of the ashes. And so the phoenix is, is an apt symbol for uh, anyone who's had to rise up from hardship or disappointment or destruction or loss. Well, today's text is from Genesis chapter 37. And uh, it, the main character is Joseph. And actually, he's going to dominate the rest of the book of Genesis from chapters 37 all the way through 50. And if Joseph were to have a last name, uh, uh, it very well might have been Phoenix, Joseph Phoenix, uh, because he literally rises up out of a pit and literally rises up to then experience uh, a new life and new opportunities. He goes from pit to pinnacle, from worst to first. Now, it's important to understand that Joseph's pit that he finds himself in actually was dug many years before he was born. It was a family pit that led to the things that he himself experienced. I, I, I mean, think back. Uh, Abram lied and said that his wife was his sister. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you see on Jerry Springer, right? Um, Sarah convinced Abraham to have a baby with her slave, to get her slave pregnant. And once the baby came, she tried to kill both the slave, Hagar, and her son, Ishmael, by sending them out to the desert. Abraham almost kills his son, Isaac, when he was uh, uh, asked to sacrifice his son. Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, have two sons, Esau and Jacob, twins, and they generated a sibling rivalry that went way beyond toys to actual fighting almost for life and death. Jacob ran away to his uncle Laban, who tricked him out of marrying the love of his life and the love of his heart, Rachel, on his very wedding night. I mean, this is way beyond just one show of Jerry Springer. This could be the entire season, could be Abraham and his kin. But it's not over yet. It's not over. Because as you probably have experienced and I have experienced, dysfunction breeds dysfunction. And the cycles tend to continue from one generation to another. Now, Jacob hasn't learned, it seems, anything at all from all of the problems he had with Esau. And he decides to play favorites with his 12 children. Now, having favorites among your children became such an issue, especially if the favorite wasn't the firstborn, 
that Moses and the law of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy and other places actually has laws about don't have favorites among your children. Because that was a big issue in the ancient world, and I'm not sure that it's gone in today's world. You know, it's it's hard for parents not to like certain things about certain of their children, but to be so overt to cause tension among the siblings because one is loved more, not only perceived, but in actual reality. So Jacob generates this cycle or participates in the cycle, and Joseph is born into this cycle of dysfunction. Now, I don't want to leave the impression that Joseph was totally innocent of what was going on. He, he played his part. Uh, uh, you could say that he enjoyed and relished being the spoiled kid. Uh, his gloating, whether it was intentional or not, didn't help. It's one thing to be the adored baby of the family, but it's another to use your special status to then oppress and play on the emotions and the lives of others within that family. So we're going to read, uh, we're not going to read the entire chapter. It's a bit long. Uh, I encourage you to do so maybe this afternoon at some point. Uh, but we're going to read a couple different segments of, uh, of uh, Genesis chapter 37. We're going to begin now with verses 2 through 5. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, 17 years old, he's the next to the last of all the children. His brothers are significantly older. And so keep that in mind as we, we think through this. This is a 17-year-old kid that has been placed as the number one in the family. When Jacob was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born into had been born in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because of because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. There's three things that we learn about Joseph here that I want to draw our attention to. First, and one of the very first things we learn after his age, is that Joseph was a snitch. He was a tattletale. He would run to his father with things that he had seen his brothers do. The problem is, and, and we get this from looking into the Hebrew words, Evidently, not everything he told was the full truth. Uh, uh, the older translations refer to this bad report that he gave his father about his brothers. This bad report is also translated in other places in the Old Testament as slander. It's the same word used when the ten spies came back and told about the land of uh, flowing with milk and honey, except they described it in other kind of terms. They gave a bad report about the land. They didn't tell the whole truth. They skewed the facts to favor their particular opinion. 
And so not only did he give his father a bad report, that's one word, but the Hebrew text also says that he gave his father an evil bad report. And that word evil is the same word that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where the, uh, Adam and Eve chose the evil path and chose to do evil. And so he's loading the deck and stacking the deck, as it were, adding things that weren't necessarily true, and that just uh, heightens the misperception that his father has, and it heightens the hatred that his brother had. Second thing, his father gave him a special coat. Now, traditionally, this is the coat of many colors, or if you like the, uh, the, the opera and the, the, the movies, uh, the Technicolor dream coat, as it's referred to. Uh, in reality, this was probably a long-sleeved robe um, that had very, very special kind of sleeves and decorations. It was the kind of a thing a king would wear, and that's how it's used later on. Uh, uh, the, the, the translation of multicolor comes from, it's kind of a long story, and I won't get into it, but, but when you think about doing outdoor manual labor and getting your hands dirty, we often roll up our sleeves. Well, uh, you, you don't do that kind of labor with a long-sleeved, long robe, uh, because that's more for uh, decorative purposes and ceremonial purposes. But Joseph, uh, he can't help the fact that his father gave him the robe, but he can choose when to wear it. And he wore it outside when his brothers were working, and he wore it in, in most inopportune moments, and he wore it almost, perhaps innocently and naively, but he wore it in such a way that his brothers took strong, strong offense. But it wasn't that, that he was a tattletale, and it wasn't just that he had this special coat that he was favored by his dad, but the straw that broke the camel's back for his brothers and their hatred against Joseph was the dreams. Joseph had two dreams, and in each of them, his brothers are bowing down to him and he is setting himself up as their leader. They couldn't handle that, drove them crazy. In the second of the dream, Joseph's uh, mom and dad are bowing down as well, and, and we know that never did happen. Uh, uh, Joseph actually bows before his father, never the other way around, and his mother had already died, so there are aspects of these dreams that are not necessarily straight from uh, uh, God himself, thus saith the Lord, but still, the impact that it had on his brothers was that they hated him. Uh, let's pick up the reading in verses 18 through 20. When Joseph's brother, they were out feeding the sheep, and Joseph went, and he's wearing his multicolored uh, uh, or his long-sleeved outfit. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance because of the robe. As he approached, they said they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and then we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. What they wanted to do was to stop the dream, and they felt if they could kill Joseph, that would stop the dream. They hated him so much. Earlier in the chapter, we read that they couldn't say a kind word. That kind word was shalom. They couldn't even give the typical greeting that you would give when you woke up or when you saw someone, shalom, peace be to you. So at the end of the chapter, this young man, 17-year-old boy, spoiled almost the youngest, 
very naive and uh, 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 doesn't make the best decisions, finds himself in a pit at the bottom of a dry well. And then he's sold to some traders and he ends up as a slave in Egypt. Did you notice that God doesn't appear much in this chapter and in this story? We're, we're kind of moving into a new phase of God's relationship with his people, and God becomes more hidden, as it were, not quite so visible, not so front and center. God is much less conspicuous. But we know and we read throughout the Joseph narrative that God was with Joseph, but he didn't show up in Joseph's jail cell, and he didn't show up in Joseph's life with a cloud or, uh, uh, or a, a cloud or a column of, of fire. Uh, God is now beginning to work in and through people and circumstances. Uh, he's still achieving his purpose, and he still blesses his people, but it, it's in a much more less direct and perhaps immediate way. So God will achieve his purpose of saving his people as they go through famine and as they go through difficult times, as he prepares to rescue them from Egypt, but it won't be in quite the same way. You know, many times you and I find ourselves living out the consequences of other people's actions. We're born into families, we're born into situations, we're born into countries and times where we have no control. You know, growing up, you might not realize how dysfunctional your family is until you look and you realize what other families look like. You didn't realize that what was happening to you was inappropriate or was abuse or it was just wrong. And then you notice that not everybody gets treated this way and then you hear stories of how other kids grow up, and then you go to a counselor, and then after a couple hours or weeks or years of counseling, you realize, wow, my family's messed up. They're dysfunctional. So what do you do with that? What do you do when you are born into a situation where you realize things aren't the way they're supposed to be? Whether it's in your family, whether it's in your country, whether it's in your specific context of life. Well, I, I think part of this process is owning it, recognizing it, identifying it, bringing it into the light because secrets kill and we have to name it and recognize. And once we're aware, there comes at some level where we have to move on and we have to find some reconciliation and resolution one way or another. Joseph, finds himself in a pit at the end of chapter 37. He finds himself in Potiphar's house, who is the chief of uh, a number of the slaves. And then he finds himself in the, uh, in the jail again, and then he rises up. And so from the pit to the pinnacle, over and over, we see this process. Um, we all will sooner or later end up in a pit. Uh, we'll fall into a pit because of our own actions, or we will fall into a pit because of the actions of someone else. Disappointment and frustration will come. The real issue is not whether we will have a pitfall in our life, it's how do we handle and what do we do with those pitfalls. 
Maya Angelou wrote a poem that captures the spirit of Joseph. Um, her context as she was writing and thinking was about overcoming the heritage of slavery and prejudice. And Joseph is going to also, and his people will come out of a context of slavery. She writes in her poem, Still I Rise, you may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness, but still like air, I rise. Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of the slave, and I rise. The Bible is filled with characters who have risen out of the pit to a new life. Moses, the child of promise, was orphaned and then adopted, and then running for his life because he murdered an Egyptian, and when God appears to him in a burning bush, he begins a new life. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den at an older age in life, and he managed, because of God's goodness and faithfulness, to rise up out of that lion's den or lion's pit, most likely. Jeremiah was once literally thrown into the bottom of a well, but then he also rose up. Peter, who's known for his foot-and-mouth disease, and just impulsively getting himself in trouble one time after another, uh, denied Jesus three times and was perhaps the most devastated person that we could think of, and yet Jesus allowed him to return and rise up to be a leader in his church. Saul was also one who rose up from the ashes, the ashes of murder, and uh, complicitness in the murder and persecution of Christians, and he rises up out of baptism to be a transformed man and to serve God. And then Jesus himself, tormented, uh, crucified, killed, and put in a grave. And on the third day, Easter morning, he also rises up. You know, I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of us are in a pit, that we feel like COVID has put us in a pit. There's others of us that feel like other factors in our life, like our gender, our ethnicity, our skin color, our language, uh, abuse that we might have experienced as a kid, financial difficulties, ha have all put us in a pit. Through God's power and providence, we too can rise from the ashes out of our pit, like Joseph, like Moses, like Daniel, Jeremiah, Peter, Paul, and like Jesus himself, we can rise up into a new life and a new future that God is preparing for us. If we can help you find that life, please let us know. Uh, you can call, you can text, you can email, you can swing by the building, make an appointment. We'd be glad to talk with you. I pray that God will help you see his power as you rise up from your pit and your ashes in your life. We have our brother and elder uh, Jeff Henson with us this morning, and he will come and lead a prayer and, uh, and, and, and ask God's blessings on all of those in the Sunset family. God bless you today.